0: I had the, this, this picture of, of the sugarcane fires, and it's amazing, when you set fire to something, how things just kind of carry on going. I mean, fire births fire. And, and there's something, that song, King of Kings, that we were listening to earlier, and as we were worshipping to, to it, and it says there, and then the, the, the Church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. And we see this, this, this explosion of what the Church was doing, because something had happened in their lives that set fire to the lives of those around them. I mean, we look in Acts 2, and we've been going through a series on Acts, and we are in part 10 of our series, and we, we're kind of transitioning from Acts 4 to Acts 5 today. So it's been a, been a long journey to get here. But there's something of the 120 that we see leading into Pentecost, where there were 120 people that had kind of had gathered and were waiting on the Holy Spirit. But the moment there was this outpouring, 3,000 were added to their number. There was this, 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 this insane growth, but there is something about being on fire, and I think even with us, as we are mindful of what we are busy doing, God does an amazing thing. And, and, and this morning, uh, I'm going to try and keep it fairly short, but, but I want to just read through a bit of scripture, and I want to see what was the, the early church doing? And it's not that we have to necessarily imitate what the early church was doing, but there was something of the heart that should stir us up and, and should challenge us. And and even as Shanae was saying, going into an airport and you think, there might be someone here. Um, there's a book I was reading called Miracles Still Happen, and I've shared the story a couple of times, but it stirs within me and it says, don't wake up in the morning and say, Lord, if you need me, here I am. The Bible says Ephesians 2:10 that He created us for good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. Just wake up and say, Lord, what is it that You have in store for me this morning? Similar question, but but, but with a different perspective and saying, Well, what is it? We're on a mission. We we our church is called Adventure Church, and 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 the reason for that is I believe that this is that this mission that we're on, one eight, going to all the world and preach to uh, be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, um. This mission is an adventure that we're on. It's exciting. And Shaunay said, there's a disclaimer in the name that there's purpose in what we're doing. And as the church, we are on mission. We're on mission to love people, to serve people, to, to honor people, to see where there's a potential to, to bless people. And, and sometimes it can be quite hair-raising, like wandering around an airport thinking, I believe there's someone here that I need to encounter. And sometimes it just happens. I mean, we were sharing the testimony of Shanae's dad the other day who went to go get meds for Shanae's mom at, at Lifestyle Center. They were here visiting us and uh, landed up deciding to get his nose hair waxed, of all things, <laughs> and, and prayed for a woman in the, who was waxing his nose who had back pain and she was struggling and prayed for her. She got healed, prayed for another lady, she got healed. And then they brought in one of their colleagues who had cancer and said, pray for her. Their faith had been stirred up, but the opportunity came by being just mindful of what we're doing. And I think it is. It's a great, great opportunity for us. And so I want to read out of Acts 4, and I'm going to start at Acts 4, verse 32. And, and this is following on from where John left off the last time we, he pre- preached, where they left with boldness. They prayed for boldness. They left with boldness. And then it goes on to say, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Thus Joseph, who was also called the Apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the Apostle's feet. That's the end of chapter 4. But then we go into a bit of an interesting passage of Scripture. And it's Acts 5 from verse 1. And it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only of it and lay only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He said, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard it. The young, rose, the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It's a hectic passage of Scripture, and... My natural instinct was avoid it and and we'll go we'll, we'll share the nice parts of the end of acts 4 and then maybe what we'll do is um, instead of going all the way to um, acts 5 we'll jump to acts 5 verse 12 and and leave that passage of scripture out because it's hectic and and it's it's scary so what I want to do is let it kind of go through that part first and then there's uh, some lessons I want to take out from the early church and what they were doing and how this stirred us up but what we know is Ananias and Sapphira were part of the, the, the body of Christ. They had accepted Jesus, they were there, the, Peter knew them, so they, this wasn't just random people that came in to infiltrate what was happening, but you've got to know that the early church was in a very, very tender space. There was something happening, and there was an, a massive outpouring, the Holy Spirit was moving, and, and I think... Where things went potentially pear-shaped is something that we see a lot of today, and that is the fact that sometimes accepting Jesus as Savior is a lot easier than accepting Jesus as Lord. So we look at, I want to read through the, the, the story of the rich young man. And and there's some interesting parallels that we can take from this. And it says, this is from Mark 10, from verse 17 to 31. And it says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Do not honor your mother and uh, do not I mean sorry, honor your, your, your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So what this implies is that he's a religious man, he understands the law, he lived according to the law, and he says, I've done all these things. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, love that, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. It's amazing. Jesus presented him with the same opportunity that he presented with the, he presented the disciples. Just give it up and come and follow me. And it was an invitation in love. And Jesus looked. Uh, sorry, and it says, um, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He came inquiring. Of Jesus as Savior but was reluctant to accept Jesus as Lord now if you look through the word Jesus as Lord has a far greater prevalence like it's, it, it's it's mentioned so much more the Lordship of Christ and yes the gospel message we require Jesus as Savior because in that is how we inherit eternal life but what happens is once we accept Jesus as Savior the natural thing is we should be accept, accepting him as Lord I often say to young guys, I chat a lot about identity and the Father heart and what it means to accept our identity and the privilege we have of being co-heirs with Christ. If you go read through Romans 8, and it says that we have the privilege of crying out, Abba, Father, that we are co-heirs with Christ. And, and the, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that testifies that we are sons of God. I said, it's amazing how often we are willing to accept our ticket to heaven but we leave our birth certificate behind. The birth certificate of this new identity, this new creation. And, and here we see a man who's, who's kind of potentially keen to accept Jesus as Savior. But when it comes to accepting him as Lord, it means that the other stuff has to become subservient to that. And that something is quite a big decision. Whoever says salvation costs nothing, it's not true, it costs everything we have. And there's there's an expression that says, he who is no fool, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Giving up what we cannot keep. John mentioned last week, or the week before last, that our lives are no longer our own. Once we get saved into this, our lives are no longer our own. We live for a king and his kingdom. Um, David Livingston said, why is it that when we get commissioned by an earthly king, we count it a privilege, but when we get commissioned by a heavenly king, we count it a sacrifice? There's something of the Lordship of Christ that says just, it's, 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 it's mine, all of it. But you realize that it's also all yours. And um, we belong to a, a, a team, an apostolic prophetic team based on Ephesians 4 called the NCMI. And that's who we relate to as a church, so who we partner with. The equip is all the NCMI churches getting together. And, and Tyron, who heads NCMI, he often says, he says, What you need to know, if you partner with us, you get access to everything. And yes, we want access to everything that you have. But that's not the prerequisite for partnering. We want to know that you've got access to us. You need resources, we've got resources. You need people, we've got people. You need worship equipment. We'll make a plan and organize your worship equipment. Because you get access to all of us. You partner with us. But how do you you become a part of what we do? Open up your hands. So for us, we partner with these guys, and, and, and we have friends that come through here, and we say, whatever you need, we're here. But people say to us, whatever you need, we're here. And there's this, this, this mutual understanding of what's happening. And, and Jesus is not saying to all of us, go and give all your money to the poor. That's, that's not what he's saying. But what he's highlighting in love is that this man, his possessions were elevated above the Lordship of Christ, and this is something that he had to work on. So we see this, this outworking, and then we go back to Acts, and we see what, what, what is happening there, and here we see Barnabas selling everything and giving it, and we see Ananias and Sapphira who sell, but they hold back. And the reality is, in this passage of Scripture, the church did not tell people to sell their possessions, and Peter qualifies this by saying to, uh, to Ananias, it was yours to begin with. We never had to, to do anything, it was your possessions. Um, there was nothing wrong with them saying, guys, this is what we prepared to give of, of what we had. But what they did is they wanted the recognition of having given everything. They wanted to be recognized the same way that Barnabas was. But they weren't willing to part with what they had to to receive what Barnabas had received. And And there was a hypocrisy in it, and it was such a crucial time in the church that God had to deal with it. Now, when these guys died... They were believers. I don't believe that they were removed from the kingdom. I don't believe that they were—they just lost their salvation in the process. But what God did was he removed them as a stumbling block from the early church because their behavior was going to hinder the momentum of what was happening. And there was something in their hearts where they had allowed their possessions. where they, It was a nice idea and then all of a sudden they're like, I can't do this. Listening to a testimony this week of a guy by the name of Peter Rasmussen who sold their home in Hillcrest and felt God say give the proceeds away. And this was their I mean, they, they church paid elders, they they don't have a lot of money, they're not in business. This was their their nest egg. They he's fifty nine years old. This is this is what they owned. And God challenged them, give it away. And they gave it away. Why? Because God asked them to. And a little while later, they felt challenged to buy a piece of land. And they were in a tent meeting, and he felt God say, buy a piece of land. And he said, Lord, you're going to have to speak to my wife, because I don't want to put this burden on her. You know that we're in a place where we've just given away everything that we have. How do we purchase the land? And the banks aren't going to want to lend us the money. How do we do this? And his wife walked up to him and said, I just feel God saying we've got to buy this piece of land. So they, they embarked on this journey, and I mean... The provision that came to, to purchase this land was supernatural. They had a guy wake up in the middle of the night having a dream in, in Holland, of all places, saying, there's a man in South Africa who's buying a piece of land. We want you to bless like, bless him. And he, he went to his pastor and said, there was a guy that came and preached here years ago. What was his name? And they kind of worked through it. He said, "My no, Peter Rasmussen. He said, can I have his contact number? Sure. Sure. Um, Sent him a message saying, I feel the Holy Spirit asked me to sow into a piece of land that you're buying. Here's 5,000 euros, 88,000 rand into their bank account. Um, they had a policy that that, that that someone had defrauded them of and stole all the money, and and their the financial advisor said, there's a, a payout on this policy, it's impossible. The, the, the guy's actually in prison who stole a whole bunch of money into some scheme, said, yeah, but there was a portion he couldn't touch, and they were 210,000 rand short. Paid out 210,000 rand tax-free. Now, these things stir us up, and we think, sure. And and there was something about this time that Ananias and Sapphira just missed the boat completely. But but in their behaviour was going to hinder what the early church was doing. 2 Corinthians 9, from verse 6 to 15, says the point is this: Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There was no pressure. This was not something that God said to the church, this is how you guys are going to live. This was something that stirred up within the people because they had met Jesus and they said, we're wanting to do something for the people in and around us. So the the warning to us in this, is let us not become an obstacle in what God is busy doing. Let us not become a hindrance because the reality is He will remove us so that His plans and His purposes prevail. And I'd hate to be a person who's removed from the plans and purposes of God because in my heart I've intentionally chosen to hinder what is happening. So that's Ananias and Sapphira, and there's there's lessons in that. But let's look at the the last portion of Acts four. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not and no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I was watching a show the other day of a a guy. It was a fiction uh, a fictional show, so it, but it's based on an American soldier. He had this short-term memory loss. Was battling to to cope with things. And there was just this one moment where he was speaking of his platoon. And he was speaking of the brothers in this platoon. These men that he would wake up next to every morning. And the familiarity of being out in battle with these people. And there were tears rolling down his eyes as he spoke about these people as family. It says here, but they had everything in common. I don't believe that they had everything in common, as in they... Agreed on every single thing that they were doing. But there was something of the unity that was manifesting in the early church that they were like this platoon of people that had become so close that they were willing to put their differences aside because they were fighting for a common goal. Heard the statement before that friends can be friends and agree on very little, but partners have to be going in the same direction. Partners can't be going all over the place because there's going to be tension, there's going to be destruction, there's going to be a breaking up. But friends can meet together, they can enjoy each other's company. I've got many friends who they completely disagree with my life choices and I don't agree with theirs but I love them to bits and we're friends. But they're not on mission with me. Um, They're not heading in the same direction, they're not going towards the same goals. They're not fulfilling the mandate that God had given of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, making disciples in all nations, going and sharing the gospel to the whole of creation. Those are the words that Jesus gave us as the church. But these people understood that. And they had everything in common because of the unity that was amongst them. Psalm 133 says, When brothers dwell in unity, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron. Uh, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mount- mountains of Zion. You're going to know that Hermon and Zion, I think, are 400 kilometers away. So it's talking about like, it's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. There's, there's this thing that even though they're apart, they're unified. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There's something about unity that commands a blessing. Um, I witnessed a a thing recently where a young man who had been very involved in church, had gone through the year of his life, decided to, to renounce Christianity. And he went and he studied to become a witch doctor. And he came into a business and he sowed absolute dissension. And it was crazy to see the impact that happened when dissension was sowed. The opposite of unity is dissension or disunity. And if there's a blessing that's commanded with unity, there's a curse that comes with, with this unity. And I just think it's something that we need to be cognizant of as the church. We're going to dwell in unity. One heart and one soul. They had a common vision and a common goal. And they said, Listen, guys, whatever is ours is yours. Whatever is yours is mine. And they lived in that place. Um, I, I love John. He often buys stuff in his business. And every time he buys something new, he says, Nick, you know that the church has access to this. Nick, you know that the church has access to this. Um, uh, I know that I can walk in and grab hold of his stuff. And he's open-handed with it. Not because I need to be dishonoring in him and how I deal with it. But there's something of that attitude to say, it's not my own. I've got it for a purpose. They belong to Jesus and belong to those around them. Their lives were not their own. So not only were their possessions not their own, but their lives were not their own. And um, sometimes in ministry, and the reality is, us as Christians, we call to full-time ministry at uh, each one of us, and that's not full-time ministry in the church. Is full-time ministry in what we're doing? When we give our lives to Jesus, something happens. We start becoming mindful of those in airports. We start to see our colleagues and love them. We start to support them. We start to to take a meal to a family that's just moved in that we've never met before. Why? Because we. in we in ministry. Um, their lives do not belong to them, but they belong to those around them. Um, yesterday we were doing a park run, and there was a, a young lady sitting, and she was selling some of the fresh produce next door, but you can see she stuck out like a sore thumb amongst the people who were running the park run. And, and There was such a somber moment where John came to me, and he just said, Nick, my heart breaks to see this young lady, and you can see how she's not a part of what's happening she there was such a distinct separation from the community around her and and even in engaging with her there was a hesitation we need to be a people who make people feel at home the Bible says that God puts lonely into families we need to be family for those who are lonely um, I heard a story the other day of a guy who's a pastor out in, in uh, Pretoria, came to an ice cream store out in Durban. He was here for s- some reason and he encountered a young lady who was serving ice cream and he just struck up a conversation, said, what's your story? She says, no, um, this is what I do. She saw she quite a young lady. He says, are you studying? She goes, no, I can't. I can't afford to. He says, so how did you land up in the situation? She says, no, I'm, I'm an orphan and this is my lot in life. And Something in his heart broke and and he subsequently kind of brought her into his family. He's paying for her varsity education. He's kind of getting her to a place where she's no longer an orphan. She's understanding the heart of a father who is coming in and he requires nothing of her. He just wants to, to be a blessing. Um, there was something about the generosity of the early church. It was not forced by the apostles, and it was not given to the apostles. Although the, the, the finances were laid at the apostles, and it was plural, feet, there was something of an entrusting to say, we want to entrust to you to distribute according to the needs. And there was there's something of financial wisdom in the plurality of the apostles who were dealing with the finances. And I think there's a lesson for that. For us in that, in the plurality of decision making. But there was this heart of generosity of saying, guys, when there's a need, we wanna we wanna sow into that need. And we saw that happen during the floods, we saw that happen during the riots. I don't know, um, but for us, I saw community come together. I was looking at some of the WhatsApp groups with people saying, I don't have nappies, and other people saying, we've got nappies. They got to know that shops were not accessible at the time. People didn't know when they would be able to replenish their, their little stock. But, I, but, but moms were, were handing out nappies to friends to, to to strangers, to, to community around them. Why? Because there was a need. They didn't know when their need would arise and be fulfilled. But man, today we've got enough. Let's not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has eno- enough worry of its own. But for today, we've got enough. We don't want you to go without. There were people that were distributing milk and formula and food and and there was just an outpouring of love and affection. Why? Because there was a need. There's something special when community comes together. And as a church, there's a stirring in my heart to say, how do we serve the needs of those around us? We know that we've been called to serve. How do we minister and love and and support and, and, and pour out to those around us? It says they operated in power. They shared their testimony with great power. Acts 1.8 says, And you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It says, but before that it says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. We need to be a people who operate in great power. And, And what does that mean? Well, stepping out into opportunities and relying on Jesus to do what Jesus does. The, the passage of scripture that precedes this was where Peter and John heal the man at uh, the gates beautiful. They get arrested because of the havoc it, it creates. They have this moment where they get released. They go and they pray for for boldness to, to continue to speak the word with boldness. They then have this moment where they pray for greater outpourings of signs and wonders. It's a strange thing because it was the signs and wonders that got them into trouble in the first place, but yet they wanted more of that and they wanted more boldness and they As John rightfully says, they prayed for boldness, they left with boldness, and it's quite surprising that we we take for granted the significance the power of prayer. But they operated in power. And the byproduct of it is they operated with great grace. As we operate as the church in power, so there's an outpouring of great grace. The needs were abolished in the community around them heard a saying that says that God doesn't give cities to churches. He gives churches to cities. Churches are placed in communities so that we can serve the community around us. And we serve them in a a myriad of ways. We serve them by loving them. We serve them by sharing the gospel message with them. How do they know if no one tells them? Who will go? Here I am, send me. I think it's an Isaiah. Here I am, send me, Lord. So we, we, we minister to them. We love them. Uh, reading a packet, uh, the back of a sachet of sugar yesterday with these quotes, and it says there, a person should never share their religious view with strangers or the ones that they love. Oops. It's the polar opposite of the mission and the mandate that we've been called to. I don't want to see people Who land up never having the privilege of encountering the Father, who never have the privilege of walking into the throne room with a righteousness that's bestowed upon them that is far greater than anything they could ever dreamed or imagined. We need to be a people who share the gospel message, but we need to be a people who serve the needs of those around us. Are we willing to sacrifice our resources? I know for Shanae and I, we went through an interesting season recently, and God challenged us quite severely in this area. And we were driving to a conference in in Joburg. And I remember the words that I felt God speak over us was, You cannot have faith for people to untie their donkeys if you're not prepared to untie your own. Now the context of that is when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he sends the disciples ahead of him and says, Go and find me an unyoked donkey. There will be one there. And if anyone asks, just say the Lord needs it. So sun guy released his donkey. And you know that the moment Jesus sat on it, because it was now a ridden donkey, it compromised the value of that donkey. And and we we going, I was saying earlier, we're trusting for a venue. And I don't know how God's going to provide for a venue. We've got some options. And, and, and one of the venues is 18 million rand. It's well, well beyond our, our our capability. But but the reality is there could be a person who's sitting in in Holland who receives a dream and God says, I want you to untie your donkey, release your your resources, release what you have. And and they might phone and say, Guys, I just have this stirring in my heart to do this. There might be a a the people that own it turn around and say, you know what, you can have it. And... Um, Friends of ours who, who live in New Zealand, they were had a church in Hamilton. The, the property across the road, the owners used to fight with them. They used to call the authorities on them. They, they, they were just, it was just never a, a, a mutually beneficial relationship. These people really struggled having a church. They weren't believers. They didn't like it. They really struggled with the concept. And any opportunity they had to cause havoc, they caused havoc. And they owned a piece of land, and the church approached them one day and said, we'd like to buy your piece of land, and they said, not a chance. Not interested, don't care what you offer us. One day, they phoned the church and said, are you still interested in buying this piece of land? They said, yes, we are. They said, what we would like to do is we'll sell it to you for one New Zealand dollar. Just, we need to do a transaction, we want to sell you the land, we need a formal transaction, you're going to pay us a dollar, and we'll sell you this piece of land. And they're busy, they've got a building project now uh, two years down the line. They're busy doing a building project on this piece of land that people who hated them being there released and said, here you go. The interesting thing about this passage of Scripture is some of the scholars believe that Barnabas and the rich young ruler are the same person. That there's not concrete evidence, but there's definitely possibilities and there's some parallels that we can draw and we can deduct and we can deduce from that this potentially is the case and the fact that he's of a Levitical priesthood um, the way Jesus spoke to him had a very Levitical priesthood slant in in the words that he used the scriptures that he quoted um, the way in which it was outworked but the thing about the rich young ruler which I appreciate is he was willing to say I can't do this he didn't fake it he was honest. He walked away sad and knowing what had happened. And if Barnabas is the, this guy, something shifted in his heart along the way. He had this revelation and something shifted and he came. And you look at him, he's one of the most instrumental um, people in the New Testament. Because he, he goes around and he, he shares the gospel. I mean, him and Paul worked together. Him and Paul went their separate ways. But there was there was something of this man and the life that he lived. I don't know if that is the case or not and I can't say with concrete evidence that, that it is. But there's something of it that stirs my heart in this heart of generosity. And, and while I was saying this is we were challenged. We cannot have faith for people to release their resources if we weren't willing to release our own. And, and, and God challenged us to give something away that the reality is we couldn't afford to do. And, and when I did it, Hesitantly thinking, Jesus Lord, have I heard you? Have I not heard you? This is scary. And I I went and spoke to a young man about something and um, he just had tears welling up in his eyes and he said about three weeks ago he was praying into this thing and God said to him, don't worry, I've taken care of it. And um, unbeknown to us, God was working in our hearts to support a young guy who's in ministry and needed resources for this and I don't know what the outcome of it is but man it's a privilege to be in the kingdom and it's a privilege to do what God's calling us to do so I'm going to wrap it up there but I want to pray for us and I want to pray that people amongst us will not be in need I want to pray that those who are hurting will find comfort that those who are who are broken, will find restoration. God's in the business of restoring people, of of taking hard hearts and making them soft, of taking broken people and making them whole again, taking those that don't qualify and qualifying them. I'll end off with one story, but um, William Wallace was nicknamed William the Conqueror. I don't know how many of us know that the nickname amongst his peers was William the Bastard. Something happened where he, his name shifted from William the Bastard to William the Conqueror because he stepped up and he fought for those around him. Benjamin in the Bible, as his mom was giving birth and she was, she was dying during childbirth, she, she named him Benoni, Benoni, which means son of my suffering. And the moment she passed away and the dad walked in, He looks at his boy and he says, I'm going to name you Benjamin, son of my right hand. Because he didn't want him to carry that name for the rest of his life. How many people do we get to speak into their lives and say, you've been called Benoni your whole life, but we're going to change your name to Benjamin? Shift. Prophetic change. And God, in his grace, allows us to be a part of this journey and what a privilege it is. So Lord Jesus, I pray for us. Pray for us as your children in your kingdom who are on mission with you, King, who have giftings, have resources, have time, whether it's going and serving, whether it's going and having tea, whether it's loving people, whether it's taking them a meal, whether it's emptying our savings account, Lord Jesus, whether it is just loving the unlovable, hugging the unhuggable, Lord, I pray that we will be a people who have everything in common because we are on mission with you, Lord. No greater love than this than he who lays down his lives for his friends. Those are the words of Jesus before he laid down his life for us. Father, I pray, Lord, just for a greater revelation of these things. I pray for a mindfulness, that word mindfulness. May that be something that just stirs within us, a mindfulness of those around us, a mindfulness of those who are hurting. We live in an estate where we get to see the lives of people. I pray that they will not be lonely among us. I pray that we will not have people sitting in brokenness, wondering, when will I belong? I pray that you point them out to us, that you highlight them, that you you give us opportunity, Father. And I pray, Lord, that... In your Lordship, we will set aside our own agendas and be willing to sacrifice for those around us. Pray that we will learn from the early church, King, to be more like you, open-handed, open-hearted. Everything that we do, King, pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.